Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is my quest to teach the whole New Testament as deeply and helpfully as I can. So grab your Bible and a beverage of choice, and let's take a few intentional minutes together in the deep end. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So, the procession has traveled from Jericho and has now come about a mile east of Jerusalem. This is where the villages of Bethphage and Bethany are located, and Jesus will appear to be based here until things take their dark turn at the end of the week. It's a place where Jesus already has good history. Bethany is the home village of Mary, Martha, and of course Lazarus, the one he rose from the dead. The city of Jerusalem will be swelling up in population at this time. Estimates about Jerusalem's first century population range from 25 to 70,000 people. But in the looming festival period, the city would swell towards 250,000 people. And it's here in this place and time that we are seeing Jesus going out of his way to make key statements about himself and actively fulfill key Old Testament prophecy. Now, there are a number of Old Testament references we could go to here. They actually start way back in Genesis 49, verses 10 to 12. When Jacob blesses his 12 sons, we see this amazing statement regarding Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Initially, this points poetically to Judah's emergence as the source of Israel's regal line, with David being the first of that family to wear the crown. We can see in scripture that Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was chosen as a fitting specimen for his charisma, but he largely failed in his role. David was chosen by God, not man, from a heart perspective. Samuel was instructed to look at character before charisma. But it also points to a time where Judah's king takes obedience from all the nations, something nobody in Israel's past ever did. The ruler to whom the scepter belongs will appear to be in a time of peace and abundance, hence the ability to poetically bathe in wine, and he will be of striking appearance. The theologian Joyce Baldwin writes this, this poem looks forward to a day when food shortages are no more, harvests are abundant, and wars have ceased because everyone gives allegiance to God's king and enjoys the sheer bounty of his provision. God's intention for humanity is nothing less than paradise restored. But Judah's regal story will be interrupted in the worst possible way. In 597 BC, when the nation of Judah sits on the brink of exile, the prophet Ezekiel offers this command from the Lord. You profane and wicked prince of Israel, 
whose day has come, whose time of punishment has reached its climax. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Take off the turban, remove the crown. It will not be as it was. The lowly will be exalted, and the exalted will be brought low. A ruin, a ruin. I will make it a ruin. The crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. To him I will give it. Jacob had an eternal ruler in mind, and the movement towards that end continues. Despite Jerusalem and the temple being flattened by Babylonian forces, a time will come when the crown will find a worthy head to sit on. But the reference Matthew actually wants us to see comes from Zechariah chapter 9, and it adds an interesting wrinkle to the regal story that God is telling. Verses 9 and 10 say this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The crown that began with Judah's king and was removed for exile now has that worthy and eternal head to adorn. The prophecy of Zechariah has two parts to it, the arrival and rejoicing and a time of eternal peace. The latter part is still to come, but the first half is what Matthew sees fulfilled in this passage, and rightly so. So let's look at how this king will be portrayed. In Zechariah, he clearly comes on a colt, an unridden animal. There are two donkeys in Matthew's account, one the nursing mother and the other the offspring, which to this point has not been broken in. There is a body of ancient rabbinic oral tradition called the Mishnah, a collection of reflections and teachings by rabbis over the years as they considered their context and how to apply the Mosaic law. Among those reflections was the observation that pretty much nobody but nobody ever rode a king's animal, except for the king. The fact that Jesus was able to point his disciples directly to this animal indicates this had somehow been earmarked as a king's animal, at least for this event. There are many theories as to how this was even arranged, but it certainly fits in some ways with the way a king might acquisition something for his personal use. Then we see God in the flesh take control of nature here, an untested and unridden animal submitting to King Jesus. In Zechariah, this king comes with righteousness and victory. Matthew will direct this narrative towards the cross. The righteousness that humanity had tried and failed to attain in their own strength would be made available through grace as a direct result of what happens in roughly six days' time. And despite the promise of triumph still to come, Zechariah and others point to the earthly ministry being one of service and minimal fanfare. In this case, the word lowly is used to describe the king and his entry on a donkey. In a future time when the eternal kingdom is on our doorstep and soon to be all that remains, we see the king riding in triumph on a white horse. This is an amazing picture given to us in the book of Revelation chapter 19. But a donkey was known as a peacetime animal. One example is the case of Solomon's coronation, where he is recognized as a king when he makes his entrance riding David's donkey. A king riding a donkey indicates an arrival in peace and servanthood, lowly and meek, as Zechariah puts it. The suffering servant is being faithful to his call in this time. And yet, there is a surprising wrinkle of elevation in play here. 
It was expected that pilgrims making their way into Jerusalem for the festivals did so on foot. It makes sense on one front as an act of reverence and a sense of equality among the people. And it also makes good sense given how crowded the roads would be for the next few weeks. Indeed, everyone from the lowest to the greatest of society made their way in on foot. But Jesus rides, seemingly with the blessing of the crowd and a bit of consternation from those in authority too. But for just one day out of his entire earthly ministry, the suffering servant shows himself to be elevated before all people. So in all this, Jesus is making his credentials clear for those with faith to see. His deity is to some degree on display, and he is most certainly self-revealing as a king. He is doing so with a clear offer of peace for all Jerusalem and indeed all humanity. But he is also making this entrance knowing that the cheers that will shortly come will turn to something completely different in a few days' time. I will have more to say about this event in the next episode, and I look forward to seeing you over there shortly. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. I look forward to catching up next time. See you then.